0: Welcome to
1: Books Boys,
0: live from the Grand Library, the Dean and E.J. Whoa! Guys, keep count and read your tickets. Now, E.J., we're using the Anna Karenina method here.
2: It's
0: He's PJ. Hello there. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. The one and only. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books? What is it all about? There we go. Oh, we, we nailed that
2: intro. We nailed that intro after all the practice. That's and uh, book But book. honestly, seriously, what is a, what is a book, actually? Uh, so I've been... Trying to investigate it, mm-hmm. and so I've gone past the toilet section and the, and the supermarket. I believe it might be in the salad section because they're made out of trees, right? You know, books are made out of trees, right? It's made good
0: thinking, of good thinking. Yeah. So
2: I thought maybe between the salads, you know, I'm am a big uh, salad eater myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe between the lettuce, there might be versus T.S. Eliot's, and you know, all the good boys.
0: Right. PJ, I'm I'm not I'm not happy here. You've spent a long time lingering in the toilet paper aisle, and you know you're you're actually vegan. You eat a plant based diet. Why is it taking you two and a half years to uh, make it over to the salad aisle for us?
2: Well, I think the thing is, I might have been eating the
0: books hence ah. it hasn't, hasn't been always as much as you. You've always read more. <laughs> than one time, I think we had one episode where I read more. There was once, yeah. Uh, uh, those are kids books so yeah it was a bit different. so they're long term storytelling we figured it out it's because you've been eating the books all along
2: I think that's what it is it's vegan <laughs> after isn't it it's, it's, it's ink. Yeah, well, it's I don't right. know if the ink is, is but, you know. but anyway so that must be it guys so look between the salad for the new plays by um, by the good lads whoever you want to read next you know mm-hmm. or maybe a bit of poe or a bit of uh, a bit of yeah, whatever you want to read I think i am be in the salad section
0: I should mention as well. We're joined by Little Alfred. Here he is now. A lot here of the, a lot of the UK is going on strike tomorrow over their salaries, and, and Alfred will be joining them. I'm very sorry that we could not uh, we could not fulfill his his uh, desires, but he's here with us for today Shock. anyway. Shocking stuff!
2: Shocking stuff! I'm glad you're here right now. So I suppose yeah, the strike. This is the 25th of April, the recording date right now. Mm-hmm. So the 26th. That's but it. Anyway, good time to read some books so um hopefully um you can always take an opportunity to read books wherever you are even if it's even if it's a time of stress
0: i will certainly stressed. i will certainly be reading be reading nice. tomorrow that's nice and i'll be going to see um see some moliere i'll be going to see tartuffe with with
1: playboy oh, alex
2: very nice indeed it's a bit of culture as well that's lovely mm-hmm.
1: and,
2: and it, a cor- what what about you then what have you been doing this uh, this month
0: I've been doing Everything a lot. Spicy. So I'm going to see Tartuffe and also a Sister Sledge concert. What else have I done this month? I went to see an English indie band, Razorlight. I... And also,
2: what, what about uh, Athens? Because we didn't, talk, you know, the last... Oh, yeah, that's right. We didn't really
0: catch up on that. Alex and I talked about it on Playboys. But yeah, Alex and I, we went to Athens. Um, we had a great time. We saw Athens itself oh, nice. uh, for a couple of days. We did Corinth. We did Delphi to see the Oracle there. Um, it was a fantastic time. We saw lots of monuments, cool. lots of culture, ate a lot of um, Greek food. It was brilliant. Yeah. And, you know, there's more to do. We didn't do Sparta because really there's nothing there to see anymore. It's just a village. But um, but we we realized that there would still be some places we'd like to see. And we were recommended, cool. you know, some of the islands um also like uh, Thessaloniki yeah. up in, I think it's in the north. So you you would need to visit Greece a few times to see like all the nice parts, you know so right
2: you okay, guys so maybe this is your new thing you're moving on from the spain aficionado uh, spanish chat to the more greek
0: kind of Well, you say spanish. that but i'm actually visiting spain in may june and july so
2: shocking stuff, shocking <laughs> stuff. in fact you're visiting me in May. i'm, I'm visiting and you I'll in, in
0: a th- three or four weeks time yeah I, I do have one or two
2: cultural places to show you that you might like indeed so i'm just saying nice um I myself have had two weeks off during Easter, and um, I have just been, what have I been doing? I've just been writing and doing yoga and a lot of uh, beach time and nature time and playing music with Alisa. And we even started Mantra Circles, and um, we're hopefully doing that every weekend. So if you're in Las Palmas and you want to have some heart connecting mantras and um, some healing music, mm-hmm. um, come and join us. So that's what we've been doing, refocusing on the music and kind of children books writing. So uh, it's nice. been a lot of fun. And we've had a birthday, so happy we birthday to you, Dee.
0: both had our birthdays. We are now both uh, 31, yeah. It's a tender age, I feel.
2: tender age. No, actually, I feel it's a great age. I've enjoyed it.
0: Well, I don't and know. I, I didn't mind turning 30. I was looking forward to turning 30, unlike most people. But I forgot that it was going to continue increasing after that. Uh, 30, <laughs> 31 took me totally unawares. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh lord and, no, so um,
0: what else i did some some dance performances with my mexican dance dancing some polkas oh, and yeah. some, some veracruz uh, yeah it's been it's been been a busy enough time
2: nice cool and uh, what about on the literature section so i've got one book to talk about this month but it's some book i'm telling you it is anyway i'm looking forward to ta- uh, talking about
1: Okay.
0: What about well, you? What, what I'm gonna start in what well, I think it's a good place because I read this one. Well, I was honestly worried that I didn't do enough reading the first part of the month because I was enjoying my trip to Athens. But I caught up. So I read Marcos Chico El Assassinato de Platon. So this again, is only oh I mean, it's not only available in Spanish, but it's not available in English. I think you can get it in Italian and French. Um, as well as Spanish. I
2: think I have to translate the title. Then, as usual, you're just assuming that everyone speaks
0: Spanish who listens to the it. <laughs> So it's the. So. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I would have said the death of Plato, but I guess literally it's the assassination of Plato. But but he's not assassinated. So. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's, this that's one is just under a thousand pages. Oh my god
2: is this not a sequel to the assassination of socrates it is that's which is also
0: about. just under a thousand pages and i okay. I actually read it three years to the day or to the week which is interesting all right okay
2: interesting there the
0: assassination go. of socrates was a was a gift to me from valerie the pigeon detective and this one i i looked for a long time for the sequel and i eventually found mm. it in a bookstore in madrid um uh-huh. okay. so and this guy he hasn't done much else he did pythagoras socrates and plato and i think that's really all he's known for um, okay. Those three books, but I mean, this is this is fantastic. What I will say is, if you have any interest, it, you know, it's a good story with the characters, and there's some drama, and there's some romance, and intrigue, and all the rest of it. But if you have any interest in, in a little introduction to to Greece, it's fantastic because it touches on history, mythology, philosophy. It hits all those points, um, and it's a good introduction to a, to a lot of things, actually. So there you go, guys. Right. If you ever if you ever wanted a nice, easy, breezy introduction to Greek history, just read two one thousand page books in Spanish. Exactly. Yeah. And exactly. You really
2: get it. <laughs> yeah, you'll get
0: it. You'll get it. It's so all you got to do. Yeah. So, all right. I have one criticism of the book, actually, which is it starts out a lot with um, the usual sort of Athens and Sparta dynamic, and mm. then, as you would expect, I guess, with history, Sparta became less relevant thebes became more relevant so it switches over thebes becomes relevant in the book then it focuses a lot on sicily eh, on syracuse and sparta really just drops away you know in the second half they're just not mentioned at all and i i kind of hmm. felt like it's a we. you know you don't spend the first half of a book focusing a lot on a city that you then just never follow up on you know like it just drops hmm. completely out of the narrative um they don't mention
2: it at all. It's no closure, basically. It
0: gets mentioned briefly, just like in the epilogue at the very, very end. Mm. But I mean, but they disappear for like five hundred pages, you know. Mm. And even Thebes kind of drops out. Like it's, it is, a, it is interesting. It's, it really focuses on Athens and Sicily then, which, which was the major event. But I still feel like you know, Sparta didn't just stop. They were still there. You know, mm. <laughs> it's very interesting yeah, that they just don't awesome. get mentioned, and and we don't follow up on the characters again until you know a few lines in the epilogue or whatever.
2: Hmm. Okay. So, so yeah, that's a bit of a pity.
0: That was my criticism. That was a pity. But having said that, I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest, this is a fantastic book and I do I do recommend it. It Ooh, it's getting like, okay. you know, full marks um from me. Now okay. Plato is- does not get assassinated because Plato was not assassinated. Um Okay.
2: So the title is a bit nonsense.
0: Yeah. I don't know if it's a spoiler for something that happened two and a half thousand years ago, but Plato does eventually die um, in like the last two lines <laughs> of the book. But he just dies peacefully, you know?
2: Right, Okay. What is it called that though? The Assassination? I think okay, they just wanted okay. to follow
0: up on the assassination of Socrates. Like, they wanted to kind of okay, have that seems... theme. Yeah. Mm, okay. I've, I've been trying to work this out all month. Maybe they want to say like the events of the book caught up with him and it was too much stress and it led to his death. But he also mentions that he was a very old yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. He was like twice the age Socrates was, or something. Like, he was so old, so I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't think that. Um, I think it was natural, you know.
1: <laughs> well, yeah.
0: Not quite yeah. twice the age, but you know what I'm saying. So yeah, yeah, no, true. Um, quick, quick summary of the plot. And honestly, I'm only going to mention about the first forty percent of the plot because it's too much, mm-hmm. you know, to to, to talk okay, about. Okay. Um, but basically, we have Plato. He's not our main character. He's kind of actually supporting cast and we have a, a chap so there's two families there's a family in athens and a family in sparta who are related but they don't know and actually they never really find out as the book goes on so that's okay. it's kind of interesting that that thought doesn't actually go anywhere um, and okay. there's a girl called alcaea and she is the wife of um an athenian uh, chap sephiro and what's actually <laughs> happening is, unlike the usual kind of sexist society, Sapphira gives her a lot of freedom. She goes around, she goes, sees her family and a lot, friends, whatever else. She goes to Plato's classes and eventually Plato <laughs> actually lets her become the first female teacher. And she actually teaches classes in the uh, in Plato's hmm. academy. And also exactly. they made a pact that despite the norm, which was, if we've ever read our Greek court speeches, see Forensic Friends on our Patreon They mentioned that a a Greek man would have a wife, a concubine, and a girlfriend. Um, But they made the rule that he wasn't allowed to sleep with any slaves. He wasn't allowed to cheat on her. um, Mm -hmm. Quite a modern couple, almost. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the start. So they start with a very happy, attentive um, couple. But they have a slave Mm -hmm. girl, Melissa, who's their chief slave, kind of the key holder for the house. And um, she really likes Sephiro and she's hoping that actually she can uh, get with her master and get rid of the wife. Mm. She also was the concubine of his father. So she's used to that kind of relationship and she's the chief antagonist. She's always plotting and scheming, you know, things to do with her, with her master and and mistress. Um, She gets her comeuppance and things, don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of scheming and plotting from her. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's one of the main um, dynamics. The main dynamic in Sparta is well, we, women were respected in Sparta for their ability to produce warriors but we have a family here mm-hmm. where a woman has is producing daughters mm-hmm. and where her husband is a giant brute of a man who basically beats her in front of the kids and is just horrible. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the opposing uh, dynamic. Okay, okay. Uh, and he takes after his dad, who is just exactly the same. He's called Leonidas, um by the way, I can't quite remember the wife's name, but that's that's what's okay. happening there. So the sad thing that happens, the first tragedy of the book is Alkaa gets pregnant and has a stillborn um child. Mm. And then we find out that this has happened several times. And they actually tell her you you can't have kids anymore. Like this one has done too much damage to you. It's you, you can't you can't have kids. It's done. Sorry. Mm. And she says, well, now he's gonna. You know, we we said he would never cheat on me, but now he might because I can never give him an heir. Mm. Um, but mm. actually, in the beginning, the husband's perfectly honourable and he doesn't want to cheat on her. He says, no, we're gonna stick. You know, and everyone says, look, that Melissa's really sexy, and he says, no, I'm sticking by my my boys. You know, so he's he's a good chap in the beginning. Mm. Um. I'm not going to go into all the ins and outs of it, but basically their entire relationship falls apart. Not that far into the book. And it's a shame. And they grow estranged and he's, you know, getting off with all manner of slaves. She is, um, they actually take in a cook to work for them. And she ends up actually dating the, the slave, actually like having a proper affair with with the slave. So they, the whole thing falls sure. apart. And I really turned on her. Um, and I feel bad for it because I misread something. So it turns out the reason she's having these abortions are these stillborns is because Melissa has been poisoning her every time she's pregnant. Oh no, but I misread it and thought she was doing it to herself um, because later she says I'd love to have a child with the slave, so I thought she had done all of this, but I misread it, and I had to go back and I realized that I was being way too harsh on her, and she's actually it it didn't happen that way at all, okay. <laughs>
2: That's a whole different kind of story. Yeah, yeah, yeah because I,
0: I completely flipped the book, and I had to go back and be like, "This something's yeah, yeah, not yeah, That's, that's here. what <laughs> That's what happens. Yeah, was so really Um But so that's okay. that's their tragedy. And I, sorry, I made a mistake. I need to correct myself. The My husband is called Calipo. The cook slave is called sephiro Okay. Ah, right. Um, a lot of this story is around Plato going to Sicily. That was something that Athens did, and he actually gets <laughs> imprisoned there. Um. By Dionysius. Now, I've read Plato's letters to Dionysius, by the way. You can read these, they're extant. Um, and he was trying oh. to create the philosopher king. So he had this theory oh, that if, right. if a philosopher was also the tyrant or the king, you would have perfection, basically. Um, oh, so they right. try. Dionysius, unfortunately, is not playing ball, but they think his son, um, Dionysius Jr., might. Be willing to play ball and, and dion his uncle is over there and dion is a pupil of plato's so he's teaching him mm. philosophy from birth essentially and they and yeah. then so they think well your dad imprisoned me but i'm gonna go over now that your dad's dead and i'm gonna make you the philosopher king and shock mm. horror he gets imprisoned again <laughs> so he goes to Sicily yeah. twice and oh, gets imprisoned yeah. twice because tyrants don't want to give up their power you know and once they get yeah. the power no matter how good their intentions were, it just doesn't work.
2: Doesn't doesn't work there.
0: And they, you know, Dion gets exiled and everything like that. And there's it, it, a lot of politics involved. But it's good to learn the history, you know.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And really, so the, a, you know,
0: go ahead. So for a
2: history, so for an ancient history they're like yourself, it's a great book. But may not for the average reader, who's maybe not too interested. But
0: in I think it's a good introduction, you know, because it does it in a, a two thousand page stupid... introduction. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. You know, it's a fun <laughs> novel. Know. It's not reading Thucydides or something that's maybe a bit drier, like it is actually a okay, yeah. novel. Yeah, yeah,
2: know what you mean. Okay, because cool. so it does a lot of historical uh kind of portraiture. Okay. Yeah.
0: In terms of the Spartan family, because they drop off from the narrative, not a lot happens there. Really, the um, the brother-in-law. So the the husband's brother ends up um, having an affair with the wife there, and then it just kind of just drop off the, oh, off no, the narrative. Yeah. It doesn't really go anywhere.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it seems a bit too much now. Yeah.
0: But I mean, there's a lot going on, and I really only want to touch a few points. But yeah, I yeah. mean, there's some horrible scenes of of violence and you know uh, sexual assault and all this kind of stuff. Altea has a brother who's an, ad- an addictive uh, gambler, who gambles away all of his money, steals from his dad, Euromachus, gambles away his, so the brother's Euromachus, sorry, uh, the dad is yeah. Pereo, something like that, but he-, he gambles away all his money, steals from his dad, gambles away yeah. more money, Um, actually bets his ancestral home. And of course the guys say that's fine you sign off your ancestral home because your dad might live for years and then the next day they go to kill the dad you know so um and they get his home and, and of course actually gallantly plato rides to the rescue on horseback of and and breaks of it all it up in a in a scene which i find hard to believe um for, for a philosopher but plato <laughs> gallantly comes to the rescue in a in a very dashing um dashing scene but
2: <laughs> <laughs> sounds like fan fiction now
1: like bit. E- e-
2: so that's something you could write because he's such a big fan of Plato that you just, you just get over, overhead and just start imagining Plato like some kind of musky,
0: musketeer. Yeah, th- like, that's a very musketeer-like scene when he comes into the rest like, of the movie. That's something you would
2: write. You just like, you know, in, in, a, in a moment of Dumas and, and Plato absolute devotion, you just wrote a, a Slash Buckler um, novel about Plato. Yeah. I can see.
0: So, could say, I could say so the last thing I want to say is the two things that massively drive the plot are that Altea actually finally has a baby, but not to her husband, to the slave.
1: Oh, no, 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 that's too much for it. No, again, I'm only stuff.
0: covering the first like less than half of the novel. Maybe that's slightly later, but she has a husband to the slave. What's very important is her husband stops being Mr. Good Guy and he actually mm-hmm. becomes the tyrant of Syracuse after Dionysius. Mm-hmm. Then he gets completely corrupted as well.
1: Okay, so and in, in desperate
0: attempts to get over to see her master that she loves, Melissa puts herself through all manner of tortures to, to get over there. So I'm gonna leave it there, but there's a lot. Of, I mean, I always, although I love the history and the philosophy, I love the romances okay. and the action and the drama with these types of characters.
1: <laughs> this book
0: okay. gave me basically everything that I could have hoped for in a novel, you know. There you go, I like it. so. You're, you're a happy, you're a happy, man.
2: You you enjoyed your two thousand word, um, yeah. two thousand page epistle. Um, yeah.
0: There's a couple of nice little moments where they say, "Oh, here's Plato's star pupil, a young Macedonian chap," and of course, it's, yeah, Aristotle, yeah. it's then, Aristotle. You know, you know. and um, there's another point where a young man's getting educated, and it's a certain uh, Philip of Macedon, and mm. Philip says, oh, "These guys are educating me, but I have an idea." What if we don't have Athens or Sparta or Thebes? What if uh, Macedon becomes the uh, the leading power in the Greek world? Mm. Um, and of course, that's Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, um, who started mm. that work. So it's it's always nice when these books give you those little, you know, it's not even really relevant to the plot, but it's just these little in references to be like, ah, you could have almost mm. written a sequel about that if you'd wanted to, like you know, yeah, yeah, the rest yeah. of these characters. I really like that. Yeah, cool. But I think sure. without without going into like too many spoilers and everything, I think that's really the best place okay. to stop. Um a lot of the characters aren't that likable because I mean Plato is, but he's not even really the lead, you know. Altea's mm. likable, but then she's and her husband's likable in the beginning, but they both kind of get a bit bad and they're cheating on each other and everything else. The Spartans aren't mm. really all that likable. The one person who's likable, actually, and Melissa's the villain. It's actually the slave, the cook slave, who has a brief relationship with Melissa before turning to her, his master. Yeah. And yeah. when she's in love, Melissa's actually nice for a few months. But yeah, the invulnerable. But the cook, um, Sephiro, he's the only genuine nice guy. And he goes through some more deals as well. But he's the only genuine yeah. character that you actually really like. And you root for, I think, as the novel goes yeah. on. Everyone else has... I mean, it's believable, right? It's based on history, and a lot of these people have their pros and their cons, and they start good and turn bad, just like mm. real people would, you know. Um, mm. Another cameo is from Diogenes, and Diogenes oh, nice. goes to a dinner party the and then just pees under the table on their legs. And uh...
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is the guy who said, "I thought that seems that doesn't seem uh, time accurate, right?" I thought he's from um, Alexander Great period. I thought Alexander Great comes to him. And say uh, says what can I give you? And the organist says, "Step aside, you're blocking the sun, or am I getting some blocked?" That's wrong?
0: true. I would need to look it yeah. up, but I can't be bothered. But I think that Diogenes was old at that point. Also, it okay, could, could it have been a, another Diogenes? But then, no, I don't think so. And no, I no, think the guy who just doesn't care yeah, yeah. yeah, but well, yeah, he that's... he wouldn't
2: care. He wouldn't care either. So that's the whole point. That's funny. he has his camera
0: Some of the saddest scenes for me were actually the gambling scenes where you see this guy, they keep giving him free alcohol and getting him to gamble away everything he has. He's borrowing mm. money and they let him get into massive debt with them. Like they're letting him gamble wow. for free and build up debts to the house so that oh, they okay. can then blackmail him and kill his father and everything else. And those are some really sad scenes, you know? Okay, okay. Um, and it estranges him from his family and all the rest of it. Um, I didn't like those scenes. But uh, Alex will tell you. I was reading this while started while I was with him. I read the first two hundred pages mm. during the trip to Athens, um, and mm. then I, I increased my speed and finished the rest within a week after um, coming home. Hundred pages, hey, same today. like that. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic book. Fantastic book. Uh, and there's some photos on our Instagram at Books Boys Podcast of me reading this on the Acropolis beside the Parthenon. So,
2: <laughs> <laughs> brilliant. And what what did you read after this? Though?
0: My next book I read, I thought, look, I couldn't read another 900-page book, right? I read a little book right. that's only 100 pages. What? And it's called it. Brexit Unmasked.
2: All right. Yeah, you wrote to me about this, but I couldn't, I couldn't make my, uh, yeah, I couldn't get, get an opinion about it. So, so uh... this is
0: by a chap called Albert Kemp. Um, he's in his okay. 90s. He's an elderly gentleman. He's, you know, he's got military service and everything like that, but he's never written a book before and he just decided he wanted to do almost like this is his public service, you know. Mm. It's a short book, it's 56, it's about 100 pages. Half of it is actually about his own history, really. It's a little bit, starts with a bit of a memoir, which I suppose is giving him the authority to then say, Mm. here's why I'm now able to give my educated opinion on Brexit. And then the second half is basically him Mm. saying that, that Brexit was a disaster, right? And yeah, I'm not gonna go too much into it because you know we don't usually like have political discussions on the show, but um it was a nice mm. book just to it was quick. I read it in a day. Um, it was informative, it was good, but it was also a bit of a palate cleanser after a thousand page book. You need to read something short and all so.
2: right again, friend. Okay.
0: <laughs> um, okay. cool. one or two quick I mean he he mentions obviously the, the downsides of Brexit, which we all know about. One or two things that were mentioned that I would never have known. He mentions that um, when they did a survey of Northern Europe, nine mm-hmm. out of the ten poorest regions were in the UK. One of which was Northern. Oh, Europe. Really? I I would never have known. Oh, one yeah. was in Belgium, and the other nine were all in the UK. Yeah, um, yeah I, I would never have known that. And that was, you know, um, only a decade ago, I think. So there's a lot of things okay. like you know, there's some there's some good little pieces of information in there um, that yeah, I wouldn't have known about. Action.
2: Yeah, in a compact.
0: Uh, yeah, the yeah, one thing I disagree with, with him on it. is he doesn't like the idea of a referendum at all as part of democracy because he saw he basically oh. says I've seen this firsthand. I was in the wars and you know Hitler used referendums basically to get some of the things he wanted, and he's let that kind of corrupt his idea of of a referendum in general. I personally mm. think that it's a good piece of democracy, you know. So that's like the one yeah. main
2: I would have thought
0: so. Yeah. That's our one main disagreement. But he he trashes the whole take back control stuff and get Brexit done and and all the rest of it. Um. And you know that's that's fine. I think it's a good book. If you're interested, if you want to, you know, if you're interested in Brexit and you just want to read 50 pages about it, it's actually um, hmm. it's it's really really good. So, that, I'll hold on a second there, night oh. PJ. I think the What's going on? telephone is just ringing. Bear with me. We that just right. see who's on the line okay. here back in a second hello you're through to books boys you've got dean on the line can i ask who's calling
1: yeah albert
0: albert albert we were just talking um this is albert kemp we were just chatting about your book there brexit unmasked um on the show so it's it's very fortuitous that you've you've called in how are you today
1: yeah i'm fine thank you
0: good good I was just chatting um, to my co-host PJ a little bit about Brexit Unmasked. I read it this week. Um, Fantastic book. I want to ask you one or two things about it. Um, The first thing I'd like to ask, I mean, you said in the book, but just for the benefit of the listeners, what really prompted you to write this? You know, a lot of people have been upset and frustrated since um, Brexit happened over these last few years. What was the thing that just made you think, right, I have to get this down, you know, on paper?
1: Yeah, What really tipped me over the edge was the failure of our opposition leading politicians in Parliament to actually tell what I consider to be the truth about Brexit, the, the amount of damage that it was doing to the UK economy and to uh, national prestige in general. And uh, mm-hmm. they were keeping silent about it. But the reason is they seem to think that Brexit would damage their uh, election prospects mm-hmm. I, I don't believe that personally but that seems to be what was behind it but uh, I, I, I then felt that if they weren't prepared to speak about it I would have to try to write something myself
0: yourself yeah and I think that's fair and you know you're you're right I I don't go really into my political opinions on the show too often but just since we are talking about it um, this month you know, I think a lot of there is a lot of frustration um, about Brexit and there is a lot of this idea that maybe the truth wasn't always told. Um, and, you know, you, you hear about the likes of Boris Johnson with the, you know, the buses that had the slogans on them, 150 million for the NHS every week or, or whatever it was. And, you know, most, most of the stuff they said turned out to be either misdirection or occasionally just flat out lies by, by the sounds of things. So I think it is good that someone's kind of put put some of the information together and and sort of thought, right, it is time to get this out and and actually spread some awareness to the the public. So I think it's a good thing you've done.
1: Well, I think it's particularly important to the younger people in the UK, because a lot of their rights that they had have been t- really taken away from them. Often, you know, the ones that weren't old enough to vote in the referendum, uh, you know, they had no chance to uh, have an input. And uh, what, what has happened is that uh, it's been made uh, a great deal more difficult for young people to travel backwards and forwards through the, in the way that they used to when we were members of the EU. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're members of uh, a, a literary group, a pop group, or uh, classical music, or whatever you—all those things are, are much more difficult now for them to just go over to the content and and uh, give their uh, concerts and that kind of thing than they used to be. So it, it yeah. does affect people quite considerably.
0: I've heard people involved in the arts and, in particular, you know, music, touring as you say, and with that with that complaint. I suppose my question would be to you. Can you? I mean, I think that there's the disadvantages. I think are are obvious, right? I, I live in Northern Ireland, so we have been uh, an area that has had a lot of issues regarding Brexit, and there's been backstops, and there's been you know at the moment we don't even have a, a functioning assembly at the moment because of it all. Um, the DUP were involved, as you as you talk about in the book. Um there's, a, you know, so we were kind of a front line in, in a lot of the arguments that were going on regarding um, trying to get things working with the EU. So I've seen the brunt of what's happening. Would you say that there is any positive aspect to Brexit? Because I struggle to find one.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't think there are any positive aspects whatsoever, to be quite honest. I have uh, look very carefully at what, whenever they suggest something, there's always a lack of real evidence point, mm-hmm. you know, not a single version of Brexit ever was ever backed up by an economic model, for example. Uh, you know, when they were, when some of them were talking about uh, a no-deal Brexit, that surely should have been backed up. You know, if, if they want us to leave something where we're doing perfectly well, which, which was the case, actually, mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, for for something that is quite nebulous and not really uh, clear at all they c- certainly they should have put forward decent economic models but they didn't and i think the reason is they knew perfectly well they wouldn't stand up yeah uh, simple as that
0: and you discussed there was different options. There was the No Deal option, the kind of Canada-style system, uh, the checkers. So you, know, you you discussed these in the book, and that there were different percentages given for how much the economy would be predicted to decline based on the uh, you know which which model they went with. But of course, those were all estimates and and whatever. But the thing that was interesting to me was <laughs> every forecast was like you know well if we do this, it'll only uh, hurt us this much. You know, not as bad as the other options. And I'm thinking, okay, where's the, where's the proposition that we do something that actually benefits us? You know, it, it, it almost seemed that we just accepted we were going to take a hit um, economically.
1: Well, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, they uh, during the referendum campaign, the Brexiteers were it really uh, concentrated on trying to make it appear a very simple matter, and if possible, a one-subject thing, you know, like uh, and they they got on to eventually uh, take back control, which was take back control of your borders. And uh, they tried to, which wasn't accurate at all, actually, but in point of fact, a lot of people believed it. And uh, they concentrated on that, and far more people went along with that than... Uh, any other form, uh, any other any other reason. Uh and uh, in point it was as I had suggested in earlier correspondence, uh, it, it didn't hold up at all because mm-hmm. uh, quite certainly we needed uh, the EU uh workforce that were coming here. And it was it was a kind of workforce that could come, do the jobs, go back to you know go to another EU country. Yeah. But you know, it's quite flexible, whereas uh, what we're having to do now is important people from much further away, and in many cases, they, they won't want to leave the UK at the end of the their sessions. You know? Yeah. I, you I know, thought, yeah. it's interesting
0: you say that, uh, Albert, because I, I remember when COVID hit, and obviously you talk about that in the book as well, but when COVID hit... And we have been doing brexit and, and you know a lot of Europeans were discouraged from coming um and then all of a sudden um you know Boris Johnson and his his administration say um oh we we have a health crisis we'd like to encourage some uh, you know nurses and things from from abroad to come and I just thought to myself you've you've made your own bed here like you don't deserve them right now you've you've done everything you can to discourage people from coming and now that you've got a health crisis you want to say okay quickly we need you again it's like that doesn't work like that <laughs>
1: No, definitely not. <laughs> no, no, you're perfectly 100% correct there. And uh, you know, there was no, no real uh, understanding uh, by the public at large of the benefits that we were getting from being in the EU uh, because they simply weren't being told. You know, they, uh, the only kind of uh, publicity that the EU ever got in our uh, national press, for the most part, was you know, that uh, publicity was detrimental to the EU. N- nothing uh, good was hardly ever said about it. Mm-hmm. If you talk to p- people uh, about the four freedoms you know, that we had with the uh, with our access to the single market, for example, the m- most people their eyes would just glaze over. You know, they hadn't the faintest idea of what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. So there was a widespread uh, it's not ignorance at all. It's just that they, they people had never been told. They just didn't know uh that uh, just how important it was uh to our economy.
0: Yeah, I think that people didn't I've always felt like we didn't talk a lot about the EU until Brexit, you know? And it's interesting when I go to other places in Europe, I've seen European flags, I hear people refer to themselves as Europeans, European citizens. I've never heard that here um uh you know we didn't obviously weren't in the schengen area we didn't use the euro i feel like the uk has always felt a little bit distanced so that played into this idea that that people didn't really know what the benefits of being in the eu were and i, I think you're absolutely right on that
1: yeah i it was uh very unfortunate i think but uh, on the other hand the i don't think the remain campaign was anywhere near as good as it should have been no for one thing that they should have confronted them on the immigration issue head on. And uh, they could have, that, that would have been it, Really, there should never have been a referendum, as I think you would have seen in the book. Mm-hmm. I, I, there was an easy way, for, in my opinion, for the Prime Minister of the time, David Cameron, to put an end to the entire thing. He, he, should, he should have thrown the joint gauntlet down to them, to the people that were demanding a referendum in his own party. Uh, and people like Nigel Farage, who was heading UKIP at the time, and uh, dare them to pick it up and say, "Look, no, you, you want uh, Brexit? Provide real economic evidence that it would be either beneficial to the country or at least wouldn't be detrimental." And uh, you know that's what you've got to do before we can possibly have a referendum. Uh, now, as uh, I said in the book, you know, you want elected to play Russian roulette r- r- with the UK economy. And uh, I think he was quite wrong to go ahead with it.
0: Yeah, I feel, I've always felt like it was this fear of the more extremists uh, in UK. And I honestly don't think David Cameron ever thought it would happen. You know, he, he originally oh, delayed doing the referendum, then he, you know, elect me for a second time and I'll do it. He finally did it and then immediately quit when, as you mentioned in the book, when the, when the result kind of went the way it did. I, I think he thought he was calling the bluff and it just failed miserably.
1: Well, I, I'm quite certain that he did expect to win it, but he shouldn't have done because uh, he, he he knew that we the economic argument for remaining in was great. You know, It was uh, overpowering, really. And that should have been enough to uh, swing the referendum in his favour. But most people didn't know, didn't understand that. And they certainly weren't helped much by the Remain campaign. And uh, the, the way that they conducted
0: it yeah i know you weren't in favor of the referendum i i personally have no problem with referendums as, as being part of democracy but but i would have liked to see um a second referendum done and i know there was a lot of talk about that at the time uh, and my reason for it was just that i felt that with it being so close and with a lot of people you know it only took a few people to have changed their minds and i think that based on the amount of lack of information and misinformation in the run-up to it and in the campaign. Um, I really feel like, you know, a lot of people would have, enough people would have changed their minds to invalidate the result. And with the seriousness of what we were doing, I think it was worth putting that to the test. And if you really believe people want it, you should be able to vote on it again because you'll you get the result, you know, if you're that confident. Um, well, but we never did.
1: Well, having had the first referendum... I've no doubt whatsoever that we should have had the... Well, it would have been the third referendum, actually. Well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. You seem to forget that we have one of these The original one, yeah. But, okay, but uh, ignoring that, uh, we should have had another referendum because uh, by 2019, there were clear indications that uh, a majority of people were against Brexit. Uh, the polls were saying that, and uh, that was very clear when... You know, I—I I I mentioned in the book I worked out on stores in a very anti-Brexit county. Uh, 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 every single district in this county voted leave when, in the referendum, and yet on the stores that I was working on, we were getting more votes for end Brexit and revoke Article 50 than for the, all of the, the Brexit propositions, which we also had down on a. You know sheet uh put together yeah.
0: then when you add in the uh mass of you know boris johnson proroguing parliament early and, and all that kind of stuff the whole the whole business seemed very shady to me at the time but albert let me ask you this um is this a once and done you know you had some stuff to say you've said it you're done or you know are you still planning to write something more
1: well, to be honest, I'm 95 now, and uh, I really haven't got the, you know, the incentive and impetus to do. Mm. You but know, I think I've done my bit now, and I, <laughs> I, I want the, I would like this to get a decent airing uh, among uh, a few people, quite a lot of people, particularly the younger generation, yeah. because uh, you know they're the ones that are are being affected. Uh, but the entire country is obviously. Uh, the economy would have taken knocks. Let's be frank about it, from the uh, COVID and from the uh, Ukraine. Sphere. Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, well, when we had a good, firm economic base, we could take those in our stride and, and come out after you know after a period of time, and we'd be back to uh, a decent uh, position again economically. But. Uh, by destroying what was our a, a really good position which we had, uh, people don't seem to understand that it was being presented also by the Brexiteers as a as a either or either or situation where you could either trade with the EU or you could trade globally. Well, this was absolute rubbish.
0: Of course, of course.
1: <laughs> but, but you mentioned not, that, yeah. People didn't understand that. A, a lot of the people I spoke to had no idea. You know, that uh, And uh, the tragedy was that the EU referendum was written just at a time when some very major trade deals that the EU had been years in the uh, negotiating were, were just about to come on stream. You know, I, I refer you know, to the one with Japan, for example, which would have given the EU tremendous opportunities, particularly in the services sector, which was our main exporter. And uh, yeah. in, in point instead of that, of course, we had you know countries that had uh opened up uh manufacturing plants in uh cars and uh pharmaceuticals, that kind of thing, uh, major countries, all, all queuing up to to leave, basically. Uh, and uh, I think Nissan only has only remained because they've given it such a good sweetener, you know, to compensate for the um, amount of tariffs that were going to be put onto their cars if they tried to export to the uh, EU. Uh, that uh, you know, that is really what's persuaded them to stay. Otherwise, they would have left as well.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I do sometimes feel like I'm living in a in a country that went from being very strong and respected on a global stage to living in a country that is essentially in decline, you know, and that's kind of, and if that's what the UK wanted, then I guess they've only got themselves to, to blame in a way. But again, I do feel there was a lot of misinformation and everything. But look, let me wrap up um I'll put a link to the book and to your, you know, where people can go and buy it and things like that uh, in the show notes. But uh, we ask every author one question, and I'll ask you this question. And um, aside from the book you've already written, of course, if there's one book that already exists and that you wish you had been the person to write, what would it be?
1: Uh, well, I-, I like the uh, book from uh, Suez to. Uh, hmm. but well, it is really in this i i i would be interested in writing historical uh accounts of uh, and uh, that that's really what interests mm-hmm. is what interests me most and uh, there i saw read a really good book uh which was took us from, from uh, the Suez fiasco back in 1956 uh up until uh you know the leaving the eu mm-hmm. uh, I thought it was very well written and uh, I would love to have written it. Okay,
0: very good. Well, Albert, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Uh, I enjoyed the book and I think you've definitely, you've done your service. I mean, you mentioned in the earlier parts of the book, the, you know, working in the the home office and serving in the military and all the actual service that you did for us um, uh, a long time ago. But I think this book is a very recent contribution and which I think that you should be commended for um, and, and for putting some important messages out there. So thank you very much and uh, thank you for calling into the show well
1: thank you for giving me the opportunity to <laughs> air my views
0: no problem take care have a good evening bye-bye.
1: bye-bye well there we
0: go thank you so much and unexpectedly early in the show as well albert kemp calling in to chat about brexit unmasked i do recommend yeah. the book and as i said he's thanks very much 95 years old a
2: lot of respect for right yeah yeah pj why don't we hear opinion. from
0: something you've read
2: well, let me tell you about a beautiful book, and you might remember who this chap is. It's Dino Buzzati. Remember when, after my Italy trip, um, when I came yes. back and I talked about Dino Buzzati's short story? I do, and, I vaguely uh, recall. Yeah, so it was the the, uh, the Boutique of Mysteries. It was
0: a short. Yeah, the title I do remember.
2: Yeah, so Dino Buzzati is uh, an Italian writer from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and yeah i, I just really love the short stories there are some stories that really stayed with me including the seven messengers where but basically a prince decides to look for the limits of his father's kingdom and he just never gets there but he doesn't stop either he just keeps going because he thinks it's going to end soon and he sends back messengers seven messengers and they just never come back uh, well they do come back but eventually it takes 20 years for the next one to come back and he's out of contact with his family. It's said in old times. And they're very mysterious kind of tales. They're magic realist and absurdist at some point. But it mm-hmm. is Segreto de, uh, del Bosco Vecchio.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I don't think it has been translated into English. Um, none of them were. It's the secret of the old forest. So and again, guys, we're just recommending books. We seem to have half, half the books we recommend are just not published in English. But... <laughs> the famous invasion of the bears in Sicily is a uh, more famous children books he wrote and it's been translated, but this one was his first one. And I think his second uh, novel, it is absolutely beautiful. It's really before it became famous as a short story writer. And it's about, it's uh very magic realist, I suppose. And, but it's more, uh, than your average Latin American, uh, uh, Magic realist, or even more Kami or Samuel Buscitti. And does it have Um, um,
0: dialogue, PJ?
2: It has dialogue. You would enjoy this. It has (laughs) dialogue. Now, I suppose actually uh, to be, not actually to be fair, now, If I look at it, it does have a lot of description. It does have dialogue too. It is essentially a children's story, and it reads like a children's story Mm. too. Um, It's beautiful, clear uh, Italian, and uh, I'm very into children books at the moment myself in, in minimalism as well. So it's good in that. Uh, it basically starts off with colonel Sebastiano Procolvo, who comes to stabilize himself, it says here, or to, you know, to ground himself in the, uh, the Valley of Fondo in the spring of 1925, a bit before this book was written. So said a bit in the past of when the time was written. And um, the colonel Sebastiano Brocolo is really someone who has really lost touch of his inner child. You know, the to talk about that. But this is why I do love the book. The forest is alive. And he's basically come here to uh, to live because he has uh, gotten part of the forest his, uh, from, from an uncle, I believe, uh, after the uncle died. Uh, however, the larger part of the forest is now owned by the colonel's nephew. And the problem is the nephew, Benvenuto, is just a lovely kind of innocent um, soul, really. You know, it he doesn't want to harm or use or abuse the forest or take advantage of, of its resources. But, of course, the Kono, being an adult, that's basically the message here, does want to take advantage of it.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. However,
2: it's, um, and the Kono is kind of like a person you would expect from a, an adult existentialist novel like Alicamou or Sartre. Someone's very distant from himself. You have no idea really what he's feeling. There's a lot okay. of observational descriptions of him. He's essentially the protagonist, which is odd because he's also so clearly not the protagonist, but it's, just, it's he's the person that spent most time describing. But he doesn't really do anything. He's kind of okay. like trying to do stuff. And with the forest, and the forest is just always overpowering him because it's alive. So he's always trying to cut the wood or or change things and it just doesn't end up quite working because everything's alive. So everything's being personified here. In the winds, uh, the forest, and it's like the trees, even the house where he lives in, sometimes things talk there. And there's also a, a tyrannical mouse living there who wants to keep a mattress for himself.
1: There is a lot
2: of you could almost say cute kind of animalism going on except it's not really cute it's not even that the animals are always that nice i do what someone would expect from a children's animal uh, from children's animal book i suppose um the character i like probably the most i do love i do love prokola because he's such a distant chap and at the same time emotion steers up with him from time to time and he doesn't mm-hmm. allow it he doesn't kind of allow it so i kind of find it very interesting and that's his story, basically. I haven't finished it, by the way, so I can't spot, wouldn't spoil, But essentially it's him trying to take over the forest and it's, it's a bit futile. But a more serious thing happens, I suppose, and this is kind of more the what gets you going if you feel a bit maybe bored from the pastoral scenes. He does want to kill the nephew. So there's a written chapter which just ends with the phrase and then he realized all of a sudden... He actually wants Benvenuto dead. It's a bit of a surprise feeling for him. He just wants to get there. He wants to, I suppose, the main reason is he wants to get the whole forest for himself. But I also think he might be jealous of him because the forest loves the child. While well, the animals, they play with him and everything. But everyone is distant to uh, Sebastiano. And now here's where it gets interesting there is a wind called Mateo, the wind Mateo, Evento Mateo, mm-hmm. and he's used to be the wind of the valley, so he used to be kind of something like a mayor or kind of or at least uh, more of a dictator, really, because he wasn't that nice a wind. He kind of was very strong, destroying things. And so they managed then to lock him up in in a in a well. However, Sebastiano releases him with ta- uh, making him promise that if I release you and you're free you will do whatever I, I say and Matteo promises and Matteo is delighted he's free again and he immediately sets off to to kill the boy, almost immediately because that's what the Sebastiano wants but he realizes then quite soon he can't do it, he's too weak he hasn't exercised as opposed for, for a while okay. and then it doesn't help that there's another wind who's already in control of the valley and he Yeah, and things happen, and he's obviously not as respected in Indiana as he is anymore. And this is what's interesting because this is set just before, or maybe actually, I don't know. Mussolini was in power. I think it's just before Mussolini gets into power, and you can see that both Sebastiano Procolo is a Mussolini figure. Okay, but I would say that Matteo is not Mussolini. Matteo is just your average strong kind of working man who gets influenced by fascism. Right, and then right, does right. what the fascist tells him. So Sebastiano for what, has no muscle, but he just dictates. And, and it is it is easy lifts.
0: to get influenced by the, these systems and, you know, by, by the societal movements and powerful speakers and things like that. So we always have to allow a little bit of um, empathy for individuals, I think, sometimes.
2: Exactly. But what I love about the book, I'm not sure it's going to end yet. But it is beautiful just that the, the things the forest say they do try to help the man. They kind of forgive him and the wind constantly, uh, in their naivety and stupidity, and they just go and they just kind of always show it the book just shows those that, that nature will always, you know, nature versus uh nurture large, you know, nature will always prevail. That's the message of the book, and also it's just also just beautiful pastoral scenes of, of the boy playing around and it's got. You would like this theme. It's got Dean Bussati's own illustrations in the book, which I find just very kind of mystical, just very kind of slightly abstract scenes from the from the forest it's set in. And it's a very minimal kind of fairy tale book, very conscious, I find. Um, yeah, this is a kind of children book I'm nice, looking at. Nice, nice. So I highly recommend it. I can't, I can't tell you what, how it ends. But I hope you will look up Dino Busati. He's definitely got a lot of other books released uh, in English, and they're always very thought provoking. I'd say very, very kind of I don't know. Like I just I just love it. I just love his writing. I enjoyed the short stories. I'm really loving this novel at the moment. Okay. So Dino Busati, the secret of the old forests. Hmm. Brilliant. Thought.
0: Well, I might just take a quick moment. That sounds very interesting. And um, by the way, quick moment to mention to everyone. <laughs> That you can find, of course, our website at booksboys.com. And of course, if you go mm. to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash booksboys, you can not only get Books Boys early, but you can also get all of our other shows. For example, I've been putting up some music archives every month um, mm. as a music man We've got Dark Place Dreamers. Robert and I started a new series. We're reviewing the 80s show, Hammer House of Horror. And we've um got a couple of episodes released. I think we've recorded four episodes. Um, and of course, Alex and I were still working on playboys. We're doing our ancient Greek plays, and we finished a few comedies, and we started our first tragedy, which was Prometheus Bound. Um, and Ooh. we might do a little bonus episode to review our, our performance of Tartuffe that we're going to see tomorrow. Um, so you might get that. Nice. You have a feel. C- cultural Latin thing. Mm-hmm. Very cultural. And I suppose while we're talking about it, I might as well play the little um, ad that we have for oh, the yeah. Patreon. Sweet, let's dance. Let's dance. Oh, yeah. The fact that oh. we will be good. PJ. Hello there. Now, PJ, what have we learned about Shakespeare? This is a holiday!
2: <laughs> Hello Dark
0: Place Robert, I'm playing with <laughs> Alex. Doing alright, glad to be here again. So, I've given you those nicknames. I'm not a fan of that one. <laughs> well, that's where people will know you from. That's why you <laughs> know me from that one. But let's carry on. Anyway.
2: Hello there! Can you hear it?
0: Join us for Shakespeare written, Spanish plays and poetry, rock starring reviews, film reviews, dark place dreamers, and more. Patreon.com slash bookspots. There we go, and I actually did a new film fellows as well reviewing uh, Ricky Gervais' Life on the Road, so... Nice. Content...